Father, with confidence this morning, we do draw nigh. For the bleeding sacrifice has in our behalf appeared. What a glorious truth that is. Come before you this morning, not on our merits, not on our works, but by your grace alone. By faith in Christ alone. Not because we have been able to reach up to you, but because you have reached down to us. And what good news that is, Father. For we know the depth of our sin. We know that if it were up to us, we wouldn't be able to approach you boldly, to approach you at all. We would stand condemned. Yet in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We cling to that truth, Father. That is our hope. Even this morning as we turn our attention to Malachi, to the end of chapter 1. That is our hope as we approach you in worship. It's not in our own merit. It's not in our performance. It's in who you are. May we approach with pure hearts. With the right attitudes. May you be honored in all that we do, even this morning, as we open your word, give me boldness to proclaim your truth with authority. May your spirit work through your word in each one of our lives, taking your truth and applying it to us. May you be lifted up in this time, for you are a great king. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we're in the second half of Malachi chapter 1, Malachi 1, 6 to 14. As Dr. Newman mentioned, you may remember last week we worked our way through the first five verses. In those first five verses, it's as if God comes to his people and he affirms his love for them. He says, I do love you. Then if you remember, they, they asked this almost foolish question. Well, how do you love us? Give us proof. I don't see it. God is patient with them because God does love them and God answers them. I've chosen you. I've chosen you. I've blessed you. And I will fulfill what I have promised. If you remember setting the stage, we talked about how as we come to Malachi in history where we are. It's been 80 years since the temple has been finished. In those 80 years when the temple was finished, there were promises given to them. I am, I am coming. This temple will be filled with greater glory than the former temple. In these 80 years, they've been waiting. They've been offering. They've been meeting. They think they've been faithful. But they haven't. As we come to Malachi, the, the problem is that they've grown cold. The problem is their, their worship is lifeless. It's loveless. It's even dishonest, as we'll see this morning. They've grown disillusioned with God. So in the first five verses, God affirms his love for them. I love you. 
They question that love. And as we come to verses 6 to 14 this morning, God kind of flips the tables on them and, and we'll see it's not my love for you that should be questioned. It's your love for me. This morning as we work our way through this passage, we'll see first the accusation that God brings against them. We see that in verse 6. Then in verses 7 to 14, God brings forth the evidence. He lays down an accusation, and then he brings the evidence. And we'll see that the evidence that God put, puts forth for their contempt for God is their selfish worship, their proud worship, their lazy worship, and their dishonest worship. These are all signs. They point to their heart, their contempt for God. First thing we see here is the accusation in verse 6. It starts this way. A son honors his father and a servant his master. A son honors his father and a servant his master. These are relationships that are normal, everyday relationships. They're relationships that everyone understands. The relationship between a son and a father and a servant and his master. The idea of servant could be anything from a hired hand to a slave. It could be someone who's there willingly or someone who is not. But either way, he honors his master. These are normal, everyday, expected, undisputed truths. A son honors his father. A servant honors his master. These are truths to this day. We understand as employees, we honor our employers. As sons, as daughters, we honor our father, our mother. The word honor there is to give proper weight to, to treat in the right manner. As a son gives proper weight to his father, as he treats his father in the right way, as a, as a servant treats his master in the right way. These first two lines, there's nothing to dispute. They get it. They understand it. They would agree with it. Yes, we get it. A son honors a father, a servant his master. And then comes the next phrase. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am the master, where is my reverence? The question of if is not am I or am I not. It's a statement. I am the Father, where is my reverence? The Father there is not specifically to God the Father. Rather, it specifically refers to God's covenant relationship with Israel. I am your Father. You are my Son. We see this in Exodus 4, 21-23, as Moses prepares to go before Pharaoh, and God comes to him and says, you do, do these wonders, and when you go, this is what you shall say. And he says, this is what you say, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. This idea of God as Israel's father, as Israel as God's son, is carried throughout the Old Testament. We see it brought up again in Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Psalm, all throughout the Old Testament. I am your father. 
Why don't you honor me? Where is my honor? And if I am a master, or, or I am your master, so where is my reverence? You've admitted already that a son should honor his father. A servant should honor his master. I am your father. I am your master. Where is my honor? He's driving home a point here at the beginning, a point that they cannot refuse. You're not even treating me right. You question my love for you? Where's your love for me? Where's your honor for me? Next phrase, says the Lord of hosts. Notice the name that God uses for himself throughout this passage. He's the Lord of hosts. It points to his, his might. As a, almost as, as a military leader. The Lord who leads the armies of heaven. The Lord who could wipe you out in a second. I am the powerful God. It's the Lord of hosts who says this to you. Where is my honor? Where is my reverence? Notice in the next phrase, specifically who this complaint, this accusation is against. Says the Lord of hosts to you priests. To you priests. You priests who despise my name. See, all the people are guilty, and we'll see that as we work our way throughout these verses, but God here focuses in on the priests because it is their responsibility to guard the worship. It's their responsibility to, to guide Israel in worship, in sacrifices. They should be leading, God, leading the people to worship God in truth, to worship God that He had very clearly laid forth. Instead, they're leading them in despising his name. They're shameful in their duty. They're shameful in what they are doing. See, at this time of history with, with the temple and this dispensation, the, the temple was the center of worship. Worship was, was built around these, these feasts these offerings, these sacrifices. As they slaughtered these animals, as they spilt this blood, as they did it at the temple with the presence of God on earth right behind those doors, they see a vivid picture of the penalty of sin, the cost, the price, And the mercy of God. Because there is a way. He has offered hope. And yet they despise his name. To despise is to accord little worth or to show utter contempt. God's first question, where is my honor? You're not giving the proper weight to who I am. And now he goes a step further. Not only are you not giving me the proper weight to who I am, but you're despising. You're according little worth to who I am. 
In fact, it's almost utter contempt, almost complete hate against me. It's not just against my temple. It's not just against these sacrifices. It's against my name. This is not a a little matter. It's not just a mistake here and there. You are despising my name and how you worship. You may remember last week I talked about how Malachi is almost set up like a conversation, at least the first couple chapters. God says something and then the people respond. And then God answers and then they respond. Last week he said, I love you. They said, how have you loved us? And he showed them how he loves them. This week he says, you've despised me. And notice their answer. Yet you say, in what way have we despised you? In what way? How have we done this? I remember as a kid, I didn't get in trouble a lot at school. I was normally kind of a shy kid, and so I would easily submit to authority, and I didn't get in trouble a lot at school. But any time I ever got called to the office, even if it was just for the smallest thing, or if if I didn't know what it was, I spent the whole morning running through my head, what have I done? And I'd go through the last day, and if I couldn't think of anything, I'd go through the next day, and I'd go through the week until I landed on something, and then I would just... Bill, all right, this must be it. And I would focus on that. This must be it. And then I'd get there and it would be something minor. You know, your mom wanted to call and say, you're going home with this person or whatever. But when there was a question, when I was, when I was called to the office, I had thought through every possible thing. As we'll see as we work our way through this chapter, chapter, they have utter disregard for God, and yet he comes to them and he calls them out on it, and he says, they go, what what do you mean? How, in what way have we despised your name? I don't know what you're talking about. Rather than accepting responsibility, they're making excuses. I, I don't know what you mean, God. I'm sure it wouldn't have been difficult for them to think back to that morning's offering. In what way have we despised your name? So God gets more specific. You offer defiled food on my altar. You offer defiled food on my altar. The word defiled is more than simply unfit. It's not, it's not, instead of accidentally bringing a perfect lamb, you bring a lamb with one little spot. It's just a little bit unfit. The word defiled is the idea of polluted. It's completely way off on the deep end. You offer polluted food on my altar. In today's terms, it's not just cold chicken fingers, it's poisoned chicken fingers. Right? The, 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 it's a big deal. This is not an accident. You offer defiled food on my altar. God had been very specific what was expected, what was to be offered, what was acceptable. 
how he desired to be worshipped in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And yet they come and they offer defiled food. Not only do they offer defiled food, but look at their excuse, but say, in what way have we defiled you? It's almost at this point they realize that they've kind of dug themselves a hole, and so they just keep on digging. Prove it. Prove it. In what way have we defiled you? You would think at this point they would fall down on the mercy of God. We know. We're sorry. Forgive us. Instead, they're defiant. What way have we defiled you? So again, God answers by saying, it's probably not literally something they've said with their lips, but it's something they've said by their actions. It's something that by, by the actions that they have taken, that they have done, they are clearly saying this. There's no mistaking it. The table of the Lord is contemptible. It's despised. It's disgusting. You show no regard for me. In fact, you have contempt against me. In the rest of this chapter, while, while answering this question, in what way have we defiled you, God gives four specific ways in which they have shown their contempt for God. The accusation... You have contempt for me. You don't give me the honor I deserve. Now we get to the evidence. Four ways that you have shown your contempt for me. The first is in selfish worship. See that in verses 8 and 9. Your selfish worship. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice... Is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? You see the extent of their sin here. They're offering blind and lame and sick. This is not an accident. You don't accidentally offer a blind animal to God. You don't accidentally offer a lame animal. You know what you're doing. There's purpose in it. Not only are they not careful to offer what God had instructed, they're purposely giving God the worst. The blind, the lame, the sick... And why would they do that? Because they're keeping the best for themselves. Because God is not worthy. He doesn't care. Why would I give Him the best when I can give Him this one? Why, why kill this beautiful one when I can get rid of this spotted one, this lame one? Their worship is selfless. It's about what is best for them, not what God has said. 
Notice God's view of this. Is it not evil? Is it not evil? Not just is it, is it wrong? Not just is, is, is this right? Is it evil? It is evil what you are doing. It is evil to approach me how you want to instead of how I have said. Your selfish worship is evil. I love this next question. It's very practical. It just it brings it home. Offer it then to your governor. Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? They know the answer to this. They know good and well the answer to this. What you offer me as your God, look, look at the, says the Lord of hosts, as, as the Lord of the armies of heaven, what you offer me, your governor wouldn't even accept. If you brought that to your governor, he would be offended. He would send you home. If you were lucky, he might kill you on the spot. It would be an offense to him. He wouldn't be pleased with you. He wouldn't accept you favorably. You know this. What you're showing is that your governor means more to you than your God. That you're more fearful of him than you are of me. Your governor expects the best and you give him the best. But God, you make excuses. I love verse 9, but now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. This is, this is not a, a real plea for them to entreat God's favor. It's more of a, uh, it's irony, it's sarcasm. You do this. You wouldn't even dare to offer this to your priests and yet, or to, to your governor, and yet you offer it to God. But now, entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done to your hands, will he accept you favorably? Do you really think that God is going to accept you favorably when you mock him? Do you really think that he will extend his grace to you when you treat him in such a way? Again, says the Lord of hosts. He's making it very clear throughout this chapter who he is. I am the God of the angel armies. I am the powerful God of heaven, and yet this is how you treat me. Next, we see their proud worship. Not only are you selfish in your worship, but you have the nerve to be proud in your worship. God doesn't need your worship. I don't need you. I chose you. Verse 10, who is there even among you? Translated in some versions, oh, that there were among you who would shut the doors. Oh, that there were someone among you who would shut the doors to the temple so that you would not kindle the fire on my altar in vain. So 
that you would stop offering sacrifices altogether because what you're doing is pointless. I wish you would just shut the temple. Just stop. It'd be better to stop all sacrifices than to offer insincere sacrifices. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. I have no pleasure in this, and I will not accept this anymore. It's finished. I will not accept an offering from you. I have no pleasure in you. I don't need you. You going through these motions adds nothing to me. You're not pleasing me. Your offerings are useless. You're simply going through the motions. You're wasting your time and your resources and you're wasting my time. It's very clear here that true worship has always been a matter of the heart and not of ritual. God doesn't want you to go through the motions. He wants your heart. He wants you to worship in spirit and in truth. To be engaged in what you are doing, to mean what you are doing. The outward motions simply reveal what's in your heart. And your outward motions right now are revealing contempt. Verse 11, God looks forward. There will be a day for from the rising of the sun even to its going down. Right? So don't think of one full day, but think of across the entire world. From from over there where the sun comes up to over there where the sun comes da- goes down. The entire world. My name shall be great among the Gentiles. And every place incense shall be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. I don't need you. Your, your selfish and proud worship adds nothing to me. Your failure to worship does not thwart my purposes. I don't need you. There is coming a day when I will be worshipped over the entire world, when I will be worshipped in purity. When the whole world will bow before me, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that I am Lord. I will receive the honor due my name. From the whole world. That day is coming. Verse 11 looks forward to the millennium when the temple will be rebuilt and God will receive the worship from the entire world that he deserves. Next we see lazy worship. Building off the end of verse 11, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it. The it there is the name of the Lord. You profane the name of the Lord. What's interesting is that in verse 11, he focuses in on the Gentiles. There will come a day when the entire world, including the Gentiles, will worship me in purity. And yet you, my people, profane my name. 
profane is to, to make common that which is holy. To take that which is holy, that which is set apart, that which is special, and to drag it down to the mud. To make it common. It's an offense. Compared to the pure worship that I will receive from the Gentiles, you, my people, profane my name. He repeats his accusation against them going forward and that you say by your actions the table of the Lord is defiled. Its fruit, its food is contemptible. You've shown by your actions that you have no respect for me or for my law. In fact, you go farther. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. This awesome task of worship that I have called you to. The privilege to worship me, the the, the Lord of the angel armies, the powerful, omniscient, omnipresent God of the universe. I have called you. I've given you the privilege to worship me. And look at how you approach it. Oh, what a weariness. It's so hard. You see it as a heavy burden, not as the privilege that it is. You sneer at it. Your approach to the altar of the Lord is not in awe, it's in contempt. They hate that they have to do this. They hate it. They hate going to the temple. They hate offering these sacrifices. They hate worshiping God. They're lazy. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Their worship is selfish. Their worship is proud. Their worship is lazy. And finally, their worship is dishonest. You bring the stolen, the lame, the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand? Again, he repeats his his accusation at the beginning. You bring the stolen, the lame, the sick. You bring the worst. And you bring it to me. You offer it to me. Should I accept this from your hand? He's making them answer. You answer. Should I accept this? It's kind of like something that that a father would say. Something my father would always say. You know, when when we'd butt heads or whatever and we'd be in discussion, he'd say, all right, you do it then. You do it. You do it. Well, I don't want to. When he puts it that way, when he puts it on you, things change. That's what God's doing here. Should I accept this? Would your governor accept this? Would you accept this? Should I accept this? Verse 14, But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow and sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Do 
Perhaps this is the worst of all. I've provided you what you need. I've given you these animals that you need. I've given you the male. So you can worship as I have asked you to, as I have commanded him to. You have him in your flock. And you take these vows, and yet then you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick, and you leave him there. You're trying to deceive me. You think that you can get away with giving me the worst and keeping the best for yourself. Not only do you have the nerve to ignore God's instruction, to ignore my instruction, but you try to deceive me in the process. It ends, chapter 1 ends with a reminder. For I am a great king. I am. I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. I am a great king. I am the ruler of the universe. I am the ruler of heaven. I lead the armies of angels. And my name is to be feared among the nations. I am to be honored. And I will be honored. And in contrast to who God is, he has just laid forth how they treat him. They asked for it. They said, how, how have we despised you? Tell us. And he told them. He was honest with them. This is how I view what you are doing. This is what your actions say about what you think about me. In contrast to who you say I am, I am a great king. I am the ruler of the universe. I am the leader of the angel armies. And I will be feared. I will be honored. I will have what is rightfully mine. Conclusion, the simple truth is this. It matters how you worship. It matters how you worship. Worship is not about what I desire. It's about what God deserves. It's a response to who he is and to what he has done. As we look at this chapter, it's very clear that your worship, how you approach God, communicates what you think about God. Have you ever thought about that? Your worship communicates what you think about God. We understand this concept, right? Parents understand that how their kids respond to them communicates what their kids think about them. I used to get in trouble all the time for rolling my eyes at my mom. That's communicating something. It's communicating that I could care less about what you're saying. About you, you're dumb. I know better. Your actions communicate your feelings and your worship communicates your feelings about God. And that's applicable to us as well. We, we don't have to go to the temple. We don't offer sacrifices. But we do worship God. We're to worship Him in spirit. We're to worship Him in truth. And we can despise God's name in our worship all the same as they did. 
So the question this morning is simply this, is our worship despising God's name? Is it an offense to him? Is our worship loveless? Is it lifeless? Is it empty? Would it be better if we didn't do it at all? Is our worship selfish? Is it proud? Is it lazy? Is it dishonest? I want you to think this morning beyond worship as in music. I think a lot of times we think of worship, that's where our mind goes, music. The, the music program that we have here at church, and I praise God for the music that he has given us. We have an awesome music ministry. But a lot of times we'll think, well, you know, we have great piano players, we have an awesome orchestra, we have good people who are leading music, and so, so we're good. We're not despising God, but the question here is not your church music program. The question is your heart in worship. Personally, you. Don't let yourself off the hook because Dr. Newman does a good job leading music. It's a personal question. Look to your heart. What's more important to you? When we are singing songs, checking your Facebook, checking the scores of the game, are you focused on what we're doing? As we are singing the truths of God, who He is and what He has done, as we are praising Him, are you more focused on something else, something menial? What does that communicate? What does it say to your kids as you're singing how great thou art and they look down there and you're flipping through your phone or you're talking to your neighbor? What does it communicate to our guests? Someone who is visiting when they see us paying no attention to the song. When we worship in song, that's not an opportunity to, to catch up on the latest gossip. To write down your grocery list, to think about lunch. It's an opportunity to approach the God of the universe in worship. To praise Him for who He is and what He has done. Or are we selfish with that time? Are we proud? Are we lazy? Are we dishonest? Thinking beyond just music. I think that's often where we stop when we talk about worship. But what about your attitude in giving? Giving is worship. It's a response to God. To who He is. To what He has given us. What He has done for us. What's your attitude when we worship in giving? Do you hate putting money in? Do you do it at all? Do you think that, that God needs it and so that's why you give it? Or do you give it in response, in worship, in awe that God would give this to you? That he would call you to steward it and give you the opportunity to give back? What about worshiping and serving? 
Do you mourn the time lost serving or the opportunity to worship God and serve one another? Are you selfish with your time? Are you proud? Are you lazy? Are you dishonest? What about just generally worshiping with the Word as we gather here as the church? What is your, what is your attitude toward church? We're not in the dispensation where we go to the temple. We're in a dispensation where God has called us together as the church where we gather and we worship here. Is your attitude the same that they had as they walked up to the temple? Was your attitude one of joy? Or do, do you marvel at the privilege that God has called you from death into life and he gives you the opportunity to gather together with one another, to love one another, and to worship? This is not, at all this morning, this is not a, I'm not talking about the church. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about each one of us individually. I think that's what this is about. It's about your heart. I think our church has a great music program. I praise the Lord for the opportunities that our church has to give and to serve one another. I'm not looking to that. I'm looking specifically to each and every one of our hearts. What is our attitude in worship? That's a question that only you can answer. It's a question that only I can answer for me. And I think it's worth considering. How do I worship? How do I worship? 